0: Hope. One, welcome once again to another installment of Setting History Straight on Messianic Lamb Radio. It is December 31st, the last day of the pagan year, 2012. Linda Watson is our host, and she is broadcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana. My name is Joey Thompson, and I'm dialed in from Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Linda, how are you doing this fine day?
1: Just fine. How about you, Joey?
0: I'm hanging in like a hair in a biscuit, as they say in my neck.
1: So, uh, well, thank you very much for being on, and uh, we wanted to uh, cover tonight the, the fall of Babylon and the return of the uh, tribe of Judah to uh, Jerusalem. Joey is going to cover uh, the return, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the things in history that came that happened before that time frame and just give you a little layout but before I get into that I'd like to uh, just touch on um, I'd like to touch on what we covered from last week because there was some critical points that I wanted to make sure that people understood. Uh, We talked last week about Nimrod and we said that Nimrod uh, was the first person who started human sacrifice. That's where human sacrifice came from, Was he was the first one. He was actually the ruler of the Mesopotamia area, which is the le- area between the Euphrates and the um, Tigris River. And it was called the land between the rivers. And that entire land he controlled. Now his father, who was Cush, which uh, the Egyptians knew as Mendes was the very first king of Egypt, and when he died, Nimrod became the second king of Egypt. And we know that because the scepters that were left behind uh, in a place called Abydos, uh in Abados, they they have the scepter of Osiris and Isis. Now Isis was the queen. Uh, queen, sometimes they called the queen mother, in this case the the Egyptians called her the sister to Nimrod but she um, was buried in a lot of the kings of Egypt were buried from that time forth and the people from Egypt would go to worship Osiris and that is their main two gods Osiris and Isis were their main two gods. So that's how we know it was Nimrod. Also, that was the time that Abraham was alive. And Abraham, maybe that's the reason why uh, Yahweh removed Abraham from his kin area in in the Chaldees area, which was the Shinar, uh, removed him and brought him to the land of Cana. If you all remember that story, that's probably why he was removed because uh, Nimrod government was a, was a tyranny it, it was very oppressive and that may have been the reason why uh, Yahweh moved him into, away from his family because it's, history tells us that his family definitely worshipped um, the king, the, uh, the gods of, of Assyria and Babylon which I think is from, the, from that point all religion spread from that area and so that's really a critical piece. I, I was not aware that they still had the, the tomb of Nimrod and um, Samurarius to just recently. And, of course, they only have Nimrod's head. That's, they say that that's the only thing that was left of him that they could find to bury. So I just wanted to hit on that and make sure people understood. Now, Abraham knew Nimrod, apparently, because uh, when he went to get capture or or retake Lot back, because Lot and his family had been captured by these four kings, when he took them back, one of those four kings was Nimrod. We know that. So that's how I know he knew him. Uh, And so, like I said, that's where we get our religion today. That's where we got Christmas. And I think that's just a real uh, interesting story that those tombs in is, are still there today. And that, that's amazing, isn't it, Joey, that they still have those tombs. And, and people made pilgrimages to those areas for centuries, just like Mecca.
0: Yeah, it really is. It, it's a fascinating story. You
1: know, it's, uh, it's unbelievable that that's the first two kings of Egypt. But it makes perfect sense because if that, and we also know that Man, Manetis and uh, Herodias and I'm trying to remember which other historians wrote that the first two or three kings of, of Egypt were gods. They mentioned that in their history. So that's another piece that we know. And, of course, gods to them meant people that they worshipped, not necessarily somebody who was in, immortal. Well, we're going to pick up from there and talk about the fall of Assyria. And We know we were talking about it a little bit before, fall of Assyria, when uh, um, Sirigrium went to uh, Babylon and they, he tried to capture Jerusalem. If you all remember that story, because I think Joey shared, shared that story with us uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. 185,000 people were killed in um, in his army. When he went back to Assyria, he had no army, and so at that point, uh, Assyria was very weak and vulnerable to any other uh, nation that would come against them because 185,000 soldiers killed is that's just wiping out the entire army. But what the king of Assyria did is that he mocked God and he sent a letter and he mocked God and and, you know and Hezekiah and Isaiah were uh, in the temple and they were praying that night and they said are you going to let him get away father with mocking you and so apparently the answer that we saw the answer to that and that uh, historical event, nobody ever talks about, Joey. It's just amazing how 185,000 people died, uh, and it said their clothes were still intact. So it's very interesting uh, that that event happened. It had to be a miracle. It couldn't be anything but a miracle. And it left Assyria in a very bondable condition, they, uh, and it failed to, believe it or not, the Scythians and the Babylonians. And I think the Persians, if I'm not mistaken, were involved in that, bringing down the nation of Assyria. And what happened is Babylon just really took uh, and consumed Assyria. So from that point on, everybody says, well, what happened to the Assyrians? Well, the Babylonians really just, uh, they just became part of Babylon if that makes sense to you. Now, uh, Isaiah, we mentioned before, uh, he lived and prophesied 140 years before the king of Cyrus, which we're going to get to. We want to tell that story. Um, we had at the fall of Babylon. Babylon fell in 539 B.C., um, now, Isaiah Jeremiah and Daniel all foretold that the Medes and the Persians would overthrow Babylon and um, I, I want to just read you and we think the book of Isaiah was written between 701 and 681 BC and now the the very first scripture for Isaiah 1: 1 says the vision of Isaiah which was concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, uh, Jotham, uh, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were the kings that were alive during um, the time of Isaiah. In other words, he prophesied under those four kings. So that tells us exactly when the book had to be written. Now, uh, King Uzziah... Uh, did something he shouldn't have. He offered incense in in the temple, and he was not supposed to do that. He was not a Levite. He was not qualified to do that. And because he did that, God struck him down with leprosy. That was the same year they had a great earthquake. And his son, Jotham, took over his government, uh, with Uzziah living until uh, about 439 B.C. So, um... You know, Uzziah did something he shouldn't have, and God struck him down for it because nobody has the right, everybody has jobs and responsibilities. It, that's one of the reasons why we, uh, each nation and each tribe has a job and responsibility. The Levites were the ones that were allowed to work in the temple. I mean, that's just the bottom line. And here comes the king along and decides he's going to burn incense. So Isaiah began his ministry in the year of King uh, Ezra died, which is 739 B.C. At the time of, of that year, King Pekah was king of uh, of uh, the northern tribes. Now, Isaiah lived during the period that uh, the Assyrians took Israel captive. They all, he also saw the captivity of Syria and uh, Canaan. Now, Isaiah was in the temple with Hezekiah, as we mentioned, praying the night of King Serebabil of Assyria came to threaten Jerusalem, and the 185,000 people died from that meteor shower. Now, the next king to come down the pipe was Hezekiah, which was actually a good king, and he, his, he co-reigned with his son Manasseh. Now, I want to spend just a little time on Manasseh because this is a really interesting story. Joy, do you know anything about King Manasseh? Do you remember anything about him? He was one of the most He
0: he was evil to the core.
1: (laughs) He was one of the most evil kings there was and Hezekiah uh, died in 696 BC and his son um, Manasseh took his reign and you know uh, you know that Hezekiah really listened to Isaiah and listened to his advice. And his son Manasseh, as soon as Hezekiah passed away, he had Isaiah killed. In fact, he was sold in half. And so that shows you how wicked he was. And God doesn't allow uh, things like this to happen without some repercussions. My, uh, Manasseh was taken into captivity for into prison for 37 years, and while he was there, he rep- re- he repented. If I could talk, if he repented and asked God for a second chance to rule righteously, which God granted him. Now, isn't that unbelievable that that our Father has that kind of mercy? Because here, one of His greatest servants, which was Isaiah. Um, this man, and yet uh, God has forgiveness for someone who repents, truly repents, and turns from his ways. And 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 uh, Manasseh did he did get a chance to come back and rule Israel again. And he the interesting thing is that he stopped the paganism during his reign, which I think is. He did exactly what he told God he would do. I will, You know, he said, I'd stop it. So now that's the time period we have for King Cyrus because that's when, um, I, let me rephrase that, that time period from 701 to 681 is the only time that the book of Isaiah could have been written, although Cyrus lived 140 years after that. And so the interesting thing is He not only mentioned him in prophecy, but he called him by name. He called him by Cyrus, which I just, it's just overwhelming. In fact, we're going to read part of some of the stuff that Isaiah wrote. It says, Isaiah 13, 17, and 18. It says, Behold, I am stirring up the meats against them who have not regarded for silver and do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter the young young men, and they will have no mercy on the fruit of the wound. Their eyes will will not pity the children. Now in Isaiah forty four twenty eight, Isaiah forty four twenty eight, sir it says, and thus said of Cyrus. Now here Isaiah is calling him by name a hundred and forty years before, at least that long before he was actually um you know. To rule, and he is my shepherd, and and shall perform all my pleasures. Even saying to Jerusalem, "Thou shalt be built," and and to the temple, thy foundation shall. That Cyrus was the one, right, Joey, that actually um, made he, the first decree.
0: Yeah, he made the the initial uh, decree. There were several decrees that were made, but he was the first one to set in motion uh, the return to Jerusalem and build the the city walls and the temple again. So
1: that's just amazing. That I just think that's amazing that people read these things, and I just think it's amazing that they that these men are actually mentioned. And you know, the name uh, Jesus is a Greek name, and it's mentioned a hundred and fifty years. Before the Messiah uh, lived in the Septuagint as Jesus.
0: Now, I, think, well, I don't
1: know if people realize
0: that. Cyrus really and truly is a, is a type of Christ. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, you know, when you start looking at typology, there's several types of Christ, forerunners, if you will, and Cyrus is one of them uh um that's another story for another day, but Linda, let me ask you a question would Would you agree that Cyrus was a true Israelite by lineage
1: uh i really have never checked into his lineage lineage since he was from um Assyria and babylon in area it's hard to know um uh, what i don't i just don't have never checked into his lineage
0: okay that's that that's an interesting story because it's um There's some history that points to the fact that he was of the tribe of Gad.
1: Oh, well, that's that's interesting.
0: As a matter of fact, everyone that um, founded early Persia would have been a part of the Gadites because that's where they had uh, had put down roots in that particular region. But that's another story for another day as well.
1: We can probably cover that uh, real soon because we're coming to that phase of history. Now, I'm going to go ahead and read Isaiah 45 while I'm already here. Uh, Verse 1, it says, Thus say Yahweh to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armors of kings, that shall know that I, Yahweh, shall call you by your name, am the God of Israel, and have even called you by your name and I have named you though you have not known it, known me. Isn't that interesting? He said, I'm going to call you by your name, I'm going to call you by your name 140 years before you actually, and by the way, he Cyrus did already see this when he was um, once he came, became king he actually saw this. Now I want to tell you a little bit about Cyrus because I think it's interesting. Uh, His father was was very concerned about him because he had had a dream. And the soothsayers told him that your wife are, is going to have a, a son who's going to be king and he's going to be very powerful. He's going to be more powerful than you. He's going to rule uh, most of the world. And the, his father was so concerned about that that he had the baby taken out in the woods and killed, he thought. But when the man who was given that job took him out in the woods he didn't didn't have him killed. He he couldn't to bring it bring himself to kill a baby. So what he did is he um, he gave it to this old couple that hadn't had children before and they raised it. And I think he was he was some kind of uh, he was maybe some kind of um uh, farmer or, or I can't remember what his his profession was, but I just thought that was interesting that, you know, he had a start like that, and, a, and when he was about 12 or 13, they recognized who he was because there must have been some kind of family resemblance, and uh, when the king realized that he was still alive, his, he brought him back to the palace to live. I just think, I think it's just an interesting story about how he started. But we're going to have to take a little break here. I think uh, we're coming up on a commercial. So we're going to take a little break, and we'll come back to our story in just a minute here. Okay, so we're back on. Uh, so we left off talking about Cyrus, and Jeremiah also wrote a prophecy. It's in I, uh, Jeremiah 51:28 it says another prophecy said prepare the nations for war against her the king of the Medes and the governors and du- deputies and every under their domain. Uh, sharpen your arrows and take up your shields the Lord will steer the spirit of the kings of the Medes because of his, of his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it for there is revenge for the for Yahweh the revenge for his temple. Okay, so so Jeremiah also prophesied that the Medes would uh, take Babylon. And so we're going to talk about the taking of Babylon now. Um, When Medo-Persian was led by Cyrus II, in in June, he moved into Babylon in June 539 B.C. and captured the capital. And he took the whole uh, of Babylon in, in July of the same year. Now, We know some of that story from the Bible, but we want to talk to you just a little bit about uh, some of the arguments the historians have, because they said, well, the guy that's mentioned in the Bible called Belshazzar never existed. Well, he did, uh, and uh, we want to just mention and explain that. Naborius, who was the actual reigning monarch of Babylon, uh, he spent much of his reign from Babylon and established his dwelling near northern Arabia. During this time, he left his son, Belshazzar, to manage his affairs at home. Meanwhile, uh, Cyrus had become more powerful, and he conquered the Medes in 549 and defeated Crodia uh, the king of Lydia, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Lydia later on, because that is where the Hittites, some of the Hittites and some of the um, uh, Philistines actually moved to was Lydia. All right, and Cyrus, the way that he captured um, the, the areas he diverted, the waters of the Euphrates into a lake, and his soldiers were able to wade in, it was about knee-deep, and they were able to go inside the city, because the Persians entered the uh, habitation of the city through the gates along the river, where there was nobody really watching uh, and guarding for them to be able to get in. and. Um, Cyrus wasn't very wasn't cruel. He didn't torture anybody. He didn't ransack the city. He, in in that very night, the Belshazzar was killed. Uh, so ended the Babylon raid uh, reign, and uh, the uh, Medo Persian Empire was established. And we believe that probably was in October of 539 BC when it when it completely everything fell. Now, from the scriptures, we know the story. Now, what happened was Belshazzar was had um he knew the prophecy of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's prophecy told him that uh jeremiah twenty five eleven the whole land shall become ruin and waste, and this nation shall serve the king of Babylon for seventy years so in other words, they were saying. Judah would serve Babylon for 70 years. So Belchazar knew that prophecy and 70 years was up. So he said, "Well, look at this. This that proves that our Bible is our our teachings about Baal is correct and the teachings of um, of Jeremiah was not correct cuz I mean now 70 years is up." Well, he may have not been using quite the same calendar. <laughs> so that same at that same time he went and took the, uh, the, um, the silverware and the utensils out of the temple, and he brought it and used it in a royal ceremony for Baal. That's why it was such a big deal. He, he actually was um, praising Baal, and they were singing songs to Baal when the handwriting came on the wall, and all of you are familiar with the story of the handwriting on the wall, and they went and got Daniel to interpret that handwriting, and and that very same night, Belshazzar died. His name, Belshazzar, meant Baal uh, preserved the king, Uh, and it's it's actually found on some of the chronicle tablets that they have, so that's how we know that he was actually... uh, the son of the Naboridus, uh, the king that was reigning at that time. So I just think, you know, that that's interesting. And the scripture actually talks about how they sang songs and hymns to Baal, and they were using the implements of the temple. Now, you know, he thought at that point that that, uh, that he actually, um, you know, he, that Jeremiah's prophecy was... Uh, not going to be fulfilled, and that proved to him that Baal is the one that he should worship. Well, he found out real quickly, didn't he, that that wasn't the case. Now, when uh, Cyrus reigned, the interesting thing was that uh, Cyrus banded the the uh, priest, <clears throat> excuse me, from Babylon, <clears throat> and they went to an area called Pergamus. And, Joey, we all know who Pergamos is, don't we?
0: Yeah, one of the seven churches. <laughs>
1: yes, indeed, it was. A, an <laughs> evil
0: church at that.
1: Set in the seat of Satan, is what it's called, uh, Pergamos. And I'll tell you how he it got that name. Um, uh, we know that in a 133 B.C., Attilius, who was the last king of, of Pergamos. He was a Babylonian king, they called him. Um, he turned his rule over to, um, to Rome. He just, he gave his, uh, he, in other words, he, did, he just turned his whole kingdom over to Rome. And at that point, Julius Caesar uh, lived about 100 BC. He came on the scene about 30 years later. And he took on the, the title of Pompus Maximus. Now, most people don't know that Julius Caesar was a high priest before he actually became the, a ruler in, um, in Rome. He, he was a high priest, and, and he actually bought that position. And he took on the title of Pompus, Pompus Maximus, which is the title that many of the Roman emperors kept until Gratian came on the scene and he said, hey, I don't want that title. So he passed it to guess who? Uh, Damascus, who was the bishop of Rome. Now, he was not the pope. He was a bishop. And the interesting thing is since that point, that title, Pompus Maximus, is is on who, Joey? Who keeps that title?
0: (laughs) The guy with the pointed hat in Rome.
1: Exactly. (laughs) From that point on, that that title was passed down do y'all see how it was passed down from babylon and who yeah. was in charge of babylon uh nimrod mm-hmm. i mean he's the one that yeah, started mystery the religion. religion. exactly and you see that connection when Belshazzar was taken down the priests were um were banned from the kingdom they went to actually lydia and that's where pergamos is now, the interesting thing about Pergamus is the people who lived there fought to the very end because they did not want to give up their kingdom. And when they saw that all hope was lost, they got in their boats, and they were called the Etruscans. Those were the founders, uh, not really founders, but they those were the largest inhabitants of the Roman Empire. Where they, you, if you go back and look at the history, the Etruscans. Uh, and they brought with them their pagan religion. That's why Rome was already pagan. And, you know, they they came from Lydia. Lydia was a key because that's where the Hittites were, and that's where um, Pergamos was, and that's where <coughs> the priests were. And they all just uh, when when they saw that the empire was going to fall, they just took and went. I think they first went to Sicily, if I'm not mistaken, and, and moved themselves into the area of Rome later on. But I just think that's a fascinating story, that that's how all all how we've gotten where we are now. Joey is uh, with our religions, and the interesting thing is that there was even some sacred clothing that was worn, uh, and Esau had that the clothes that were passed down, the sacred clothing that Nimrod wore was passed down to other people in the family and somehow Esau it, got his hands on that.
0: Was it a, a white robe with a fish head hat? That type thing? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what the Pope wears.
1: I, it's hard to know what he had, actually, except it, he prided himself on the fact that, you know, he wore, um, he wore this... Um, you know, this costume, this sacred costume from uh, Nimrod. And Mm -hmm. why, you know, once Nimrod is such an evil person, why would you want even to have it, much less? And that shows a little bit about Esau, doesn't it? That um, what kind of person he actually was. Um, But I think Damascus also is interesting to notice something about Damascus, to... Some of you may already know who he was. The bishop of in Rome, he was the one that led the um, the uh, council of Nicaea. It was his hmm. idea, and he led it. And and um, he so he lived under Constantine. Now I'm going to tell you one more thing about Pergamus, and then I'm going to turn it over to Joey, uh, so he can talk about the restoring of of um, of uh, of the Jewish people going ret- returning back to uh, the um, to Jerusalem. Okay, but I, I want to tell you that the altar of Pergamus was dug up. Uh, it, <clears throat> it was a altar to Zeus. It's one of the most wicked altars there was because they used a bull and they would actually put people in the bull and cook it. Turn it on. It says a German archaeologist named Karl human, began excavating and found the altar in September 9, 1878, and the altar was moved to Germany, and Kaiser Wilhelm II celebrated its uh, bringing it to, uh, to Berlin in 1902, and in 1933, Adolf Hitler, that's a familiar name, was elected chancellor of Germany and he became a dictator and ordered the construction of of this uh, of, of this dedication that he did on this altar. He actually did a dedication, and mm. it's interesting. I got most of that information from an unbelievable source, the Seven Hundred Club. <laughs> so wow. I just think that's really interesting that. Um, that out. Al, you know this. This thing has been carried down. Do you see how this thing has been carried down through history? It's unbelievable. Uh, so, Joy, I know you wanted to share some information to with us about um, about the return of the people back to um, back to Jerusalem. So, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you and and let you. Uh, <clears throat>
0: Throw it down. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, i tell you, it's an interesting story because Cyrus, um, going back to Isaiah 45, verse 13, you you read a little bit of 45, but it says, I have raised him up in righteousness, which means that, you know, from a childhood, he kept the commandments. Somebody in his life was teaching him the covenant. And uh, Ezra, the first chapter is where I want to begin. I'm going to read 1 through 4. It says, uh, Now in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, this was the very first act that he did, Linda, you know, in his first year, that the word of Yahweh by mouth of of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Yahweh stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth, of Yahweh, of heaven, has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all people? Uh, he's, He's asking the question. May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel, for he is the mighty one, he is the Almighty, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings of the house of Yahweh, which is in Jerusalem. So there's the decree, the original decree, it's found in Ezra, the first chapter. And I
1: also make a comment that means he really knew that had read the Bible and knew about that. Um, that he was supposed to do that. I hope everybody catches that. That's
0: very important. I mean, how would you like to have your, you know, see your name in the scripture and know (laughs) that you were about to fulfill something really great like that. Uh, I'll tell you, those were the days. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Ezra, the second chapter, recounts how many people came back to Jerusalem uh, to start this process. And it's verse 64. It says the whole assembly together was 42,360. Now, Linda, how many people walked out of Egypt? A lot. A lot, yeah. (laughs) Two to three million. Yeah, somewhere in that vicinity. And uh, for them to be dwindled down to this amount is ludicrous. Uh, The truth of the matter is, if if you've been paying attention to what Linda's been teaching us, they have been scattered to and fro all over the countryside by this time. And only really just a a handful of the whole house of Israel returned primarily under the the auspices of the house of Judah. And... uh, uh, the scripture does teach that there was some of all twelve tribes that came with Judah but really all the way through some of all twelve tribes stayed with Judah especially during the time of Jeroboam when he changed the priesthood the all of the Levites came south and so did uh, all most if not all of uh, some of the tribes of Israel uh, made their dwelling place and certainly their their worshiping time under the auspices of uh, the house of Judah and the the true priesthood. Chapter three of Ezra um, tells the story where they had no temple. Of course, this is the very outset of what they were trying to accomplish. And um, before we get into the break here, I want to go ahead and get this in, but basically they built a temporary temple or not a temple, an altar. And they, they, new where it's, it said And um Berlinda, let's just go through it right here. Linda, do you want to catch a break? Let's catch a break before we, we get into this. probably catch
1: a break if it's going to be a little longer period for you to finish it. Let's yeah. just let's go ahead and break and then we'll come back and let you complete that thought.
0: Sounds like a plan.
1: Okay. We're back and we're enjoy. Would you like to continue uh, your thought?
0: Yeah, we're going to, uh, we're going to read, the first part of Ezra three, it's it says, and when the seventh month had come, the children of Israel were in the cities, and people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Jesu- Yehuz, excuse me, Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, and his brethren of the priests, and Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and the brethren arose and built the altar of Yahweh to of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it was written in the law or the covenant, if you will, of Moses, the man of God. It says, um, well, basically it goes through and, and tells what they offered and when they offered it. In verse four, they kept the feast of tabernacles as it is written and offered daily burnt offerings in the number required by the ordinances day by day. And then um, the story changes in verse eight. It's, um, it's apparent that they, in the second year that they had returned, in the second month, they began to get down to business of the building and construction of, uh, of the temple. It says, now in the second month, in the second year of the, of their coming to the house of Yahweh in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak and the rest of their brethren and the priest and the Levites and all of those who were coming out of the captivity of Jerusalem began to work and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and above to oversee the work of the house of Yahweh. So they're beginning to to, to build rebuild the temple. And chapter four we have some some adverse conditions because there were some people Around the area, and as it turns out, these are um, a- ammonites or uh, amorites, excuse me. That they don't like it; they don't like what's going on, and they write a letter to King Ataxerxes, And Artaxerxes, this is the first Artaxerxes. There is another one coming. That's not the same king, but. He gives the command to stop work on the temple, and they have to stop work. But it's uh, it's not clear, Linda, you may know the answer to this question. Is this after Cyrus was out of the picture or while he was in the picture?
1: No, this was he was out of the picture at that point, because Xerxes was um you had Darius uh the first came was his uh descendant, and then you had um Let me see if I can remember. Yeah, Darius the Great. Then you had Xerxes the First, which is who we're talking about here, Uh, and that is also the same person that uh, Esther married was Xerxes. That's right. And the interesting thing about it is, if anybody has seen the movie Three Hundred, that is the Xerxes in that. uh, That was the Persian king in that empire. I mean, in that uh, war against the three hundred Spartans. And, he, and he was he was that king. It was the same one.
0: And that, that's um, a new release movie, right, Linda?
1: Yes it is. It's a new release of last two years or more. I think uh, Gerald Butler played it okay, in my, that movie.
0: My wife is listening. Maria, we need to get that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's called the Three Hundred.
0: Alright. So anyway there there is the stoppage of the temple being built and then I guess, again, Linda, you're going to know more history here to fill it in, but um, there's a change, and uh, Artaxerxes goes out of the picture, and Darius comes into the picture. And he is the one, I think, that gives that command again. I'm not up on the history as much as you are there. I simply know that there is a change in chapter 5. And uh, it. let me just read two, two through... Um, Seven. This is Ezra five two through seven. So Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jehu the son of Josadak rose up and began to build the house of Yahweh, which is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of Yahweh were with them, helping them. And at the same time, Tattenai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bazna. That's a familiar name. And their company came to them and spoke thus to them, who has commanded you to build this temple and finish the wall? Then accordingly, by the way, these guys that we just mentioned, they were the troublemakers originally.
1: Right, they were.
0: Then according, accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their Elohim was upon the elders of the Jews. So they... Uh, excuse me, so that they could not make them cease till the report could go to Darius. And then a written answer was returned concerning the matter. And this is a copy of the letter. And it is from King Darius. And he basically says, get off their back because they're going to get it done. (laughs) That's right. And we get the decree from Darius in chapter six. And finally, uh, at the end of, of chapter six, the temple is completed and dedicated, and they celebrate Passover. Uh, I'm going to read 619 through the end of the chapter. It says, and the the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, and this is after the temple was dedicated, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually cleaned, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs, and that's That's an important fact to think about. It wasn't just one Passover lamb. It was a lamb per family that was brought to the the priest to, to be slaughtered.
1: Absolutely.
0: For all of the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren and for the priest and for themselves. And then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek Yahweh their Elohim, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with joy. For Yahweh made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of Yahweh, the Elohim of Israel. Now, Linda, um, we have, uh, in in the rest of Ezra, it kind of, uh, recount some of the story but this decree that is made in chapter seven is the this de- this one is from the second Artaxerxes mentioned in scripture okay and it ties together with the seven excuse me the 70 weeks of daniel the ninth chapter i believe it is exactly. so this is the the decree that daniel spoke of or prophesied of that is the starting point in the counting of the seventy weeks prophecy. So we're we're just going to make mention of that and skip over it because we want to get into the three things that uh, over the next 40 years or so, getting into the time of Nehemiah, that Judah and specifically all of the tribes of Israel were doing, and I, I speak specifically of the priesthood, the Levites, they were committing three sins that Nehemiah had to come and set them straight on. You say. And those, those three things are listed uh, throughout Ezra, but they're pinpointed specifically in Nehemiah, beginning in chapter 10. I'm going to start reading in verse 30. The first thing says, We would not give our daughters as wives, to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. So that would be what, Linda?
1: They were not mixing with marriage with with the people that were not of the same uh, faith as them, and religion and race as them. So it's pretty that's much right. that's what we call um, the. Uh, racial race mixing and it's it's not that it's what he, what they're really trying to say is you don't intermarry and yep. that's what that was the whole point is that they the reason you don't intermarry is because there is specific purposes for each nationality and each race and that is absolutely correct and that's why um It has nothing to do with Israelites, and I've said this a million times. Superiority. Superiority. It has to do with a people who chose to follow Yahweh. And And be set apart. And be set apart. And they chose, even though they backslid a lot, they would continually go back. They would continually go back and, and serve Yahweh.
0: Yep. And then in verse 31, it says if the people's and what he's doing is recounting what they're going to do. So he he says, we're not going to race mix anymore. Verse 31. And if the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy them on the Sabbath day or any holy day for we would forego the seventh year's produce of exacting every debt. So that what they weren't doing is keeping the Sabbath. Day laws, the the yearly Sabbath and the weekly Sabbaths and the annual Sabbaths, they were not keeping them holy. They were buying and selling. And we do that today as a society. Those people, some of the people that keep the Sabbath day, they choose to eat out on the Sabbath at restaurants and whatnot, and they don't think a thing about it. And yet, Yahweh says that's a non buying and selling time. Exactly. And then finally, Verse 32 says, also, we made ordinance, ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of, of a shekel for the service of the house of Yahweh, for the showbread and for the regular grain offerings and for the regular burnt offerings of the Sabbath and the new moons and the set feast, for the holy things or set-apart things, for the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and all the work of the house of Yahweh. So they were not handling the tithes and offerings correctly. Those are the three things that Nehemiah pretty much had to set straight by the time he had come back to Jerusalem because he had found that we weren't, you know, we as a society, the nation of Israel, were not getting it right.
1: Exactly. And I, I think it's interesting uh, that that particular Passage and that those particular uh, that particular information that you know people need to keep that in mind. We're getting very close to the end of our uh, time frame now of of this program, so I just would like to mention a couple of things to you, and that is um, thank you, Joey, so much for covering uh, the uh, return of the of Judita to Jerusalem. I know you didn't quite get to finish all of it but maybe we can pick up some of that next time Uh, but I also wanted uh, to mention that we do have a website it's called 12tribeisrael.com I'd love to hear from you if you have time to uh, make comments some of you may have information you want to share with us so we can add it to the program we'd love to hear from you Uh, and We'd like to also invite you back to hear us every week. We'll continue with our our history, and we're gonna next week. We hope to cover the Septuagint and how it was uh, and how it was started, how it was written, uh, and just keep progressing through history. and and, uh, and we're gonna get back into who Parthia is real soon, and this, we're gonna talk more about Scythia. Because we'll remember from our previous shows that the Israelites had now gone above the the uh, the Black Sea and and they'd settled and they also had settled below the Black Sea, and we we want to pick up and 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 learn the rest of the history about that. So uh, with that, we're going to close our program. Joy, do you have any comments to close?
0: I don't. I wish everyone a, a a blessed week and mighty God bless you and keep you and cause his face and light to shine upon you because we're going to need it.
1: <laughs> okay, it sure is. And thank y'all so much. And with that, we're going to close.
0: Bye-bye.